Welcome to Your Future at McGill podcast. I'm your host, Nick. This episode is another from our student series. I'm joined by Robin, an international student from France who is completing a Bachelor of Arts at McGill. Robin has been very creative with his extracurricular life and is excited to discuss all the possibilities of an arts degree. We hope you enjoy our conversation. All right, welcome to Your Future at McGill podcast. With me today, I have Robin. Robin, please uh, introduce yourself. Uh, what are you studying at McGill? How long have you uh, been studying at McGill? And uh, where were you before uh, joining our university? Um, hi, Nick, thank you so much for having me, first of all. Um, so I'm in my fourth and final year at McGill uh, in the Faculty of Arts. So I'm pursuing an Honors International Development Studies program with a minor in Political Science. Um, initially, I'm from France, from Strasbourg in France, more specifically. Uh, so I completed my high school there um, and then um, sort of decided, actually last minute, if I have to be honest, uh, to commit to McGill um, about three years ago. Um, initially, was going to go for the UK, which I feel like is a pretty uh, classic destination for French high school students, uh, but it was around the same time the Brexit happened and, you know, a lot of uncertainty. And of course, in hindsight, I realized that this didn't change much, at least for the three years after my high school. But I definitely saw what if I expanded my horizons and my sister, who used to live in Montreal, had showed me around McGill campus a few times and I saw, well, why not try McGill? It definitely looks like a really nice university. Um, so that came, I think, a month before the application deadline, which was a bit stressful, but I made it here um, and yeah, that's how I chose to commit to McGill. That's last minute, but again, that's a reason why uh, that deadline's open for a while uh, that you know does give you some time to think about it. So maybe going back to that moment. So typically speaking, our application period for international students is from September 1st to January 15th. Um, so if you're saying you know, a month before, so in December, you had sort of thinking like, let me just go to a completely different continent now. Um, even before that, though, was there any consideration for Canada or the U.S., or was it full U.K. or Europe um, before that, you know, before uh, December? Well, I, I kind of think that in my head, I, I did consider, I remember at some point asking my sister, I was like, oh, just to make sure, like, the campus that we visited was McGill, right? And then you told me there's this other Anglophone University, Concordia. So, like, I, I did sort of, like, you know, get the temperature sort of like, you know, what if, because I, I definitely feel like it wasn't a last minute decision in the sense that I, I feared I wasn't going to the UK, but then for a few months, it was like, well, where am I going now, you know? Um, so I did kind of get the temperature around and just try to like, uh, see what were the options out there for me. And then I thought, well, I did like the campus, I did like the vibe. And I mean, I have to go somewhere next year as well. And, you know, I like Canada as well for, the time that I was visiting my sister here. And I thought to myself, like, well, this would definitely like make for a nice experience. But yeah, I, I did get sort of um, impressions beforehand. So like it wasn't completely last minute, I guess, but more so the decision-making in itself. And in terms of academic programs, so, you know, just to give some background information, when you apply to the Faculty of Arts at McGill, you know, you're not even claiming a specific major yet. You, may, you delay that until, you know, after you're admitted and you start registering for courses. But did you have already some idea for what programs you were looking at specifically, maybe at McGill or at all the undergraduate programs you were looking at? Um, so I have to say, this was sort of destabilizing to me um, as a European, because it's fairly different from the system that we have back in 
um, at least in France, but just in general from my experience in Europe. So, you know, having applying and then you see undeclared and you're just kind of wondering what does that mean, you know? Um, but I feel like that, that definitely helped because it sort of forced me to look into different programs. And I was definitely geared towards political science at the beginning, um, which is sort of how my general background um, started at McGill, even though I later decided to go into international development studies and keep the political science as a minor, but quite frankly, the two programs do overlap um, a lot. Um, so yeah, I think that I, I was definitely geared towards political science or something of the like. I also looked at the communication studies minor. Um, in high school, I did have some interest in journalism and I figured, well, a communication studies minor could be, you know, minors are not like too big of a commitment, but it's always a nice, you know, addition onto your like transcripts and your degree. So I did consider that for a bit. I consider anthropology minor. <laughs> so you see a lot of considerations, but fairly within the same, um, at the end of the day, like within like a similar like area of interest, I would say. And I think that's the beauty of it too, is you don't have to know that decision right away, but you can definitely consider it, think about it. And especially with the Bachelor of Arts, and we'll talk about like the different um, variations that you can actually do while constructing your degree, you, you have a lot of options. So it's it's nice to have that flexibility. Um, and so you you got that firsthand experience, you got to join and look at campus first and sort of be and sort of have your own personal guide, uh, which is great. Um, in terms of prospective students who maybe physically can't get out and experience that um, that you that you were able to have, um, you know, what what other suggestions would you have for students who are thinking about universities, and what 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 would you include in their research that they should be considering? Um, so, in my perspective, I think the tuition really helped because as a French student, I don't pay international student tuition; I pay Canadian tuition. So, for me, it was sort of like a big play for undergraduate programs, and in this sense, McGill was cheaper than most universities in the UK, actually. Um, but, but I do know that a lot of students don't necessarily have this consideration or consider taking loans as well. So this, this is not necessarily like the main concern for, for everyone. I would say um, Montreal does rank well as an international city for its student population, but even beyond that. Um, and I, I did come across a lot of articles about that when I was researching either Concordia or McGill. Um, and I guess from my my experience, like the past four years that I lived here in Montreal, I definitely think that the university that you're going to be attending, like of course you have to, you know, like the university, like the program, it, it's a starter, I guess. Um, but you know, um, the city definitely adds into the experience, and I definitely feel like my McGill experience was really um, considerably improved by the fact that I was in Montreal, and you know, like all this culture, all this. Um, all these options that are in here and like Montreal is a really beautiful city as well. Um, so I guess that really helps as well in terms of, you know, making my decision uh, and just in general when I was looking into because even even in the UK, I was trying to look into cities that, you know, seem nice to live in because that's if you're an international student, especially if you leave your home country and if you go abroad, you kind of want to make this experience, you know, valuable. Um, and so you definitely want to go like somewhere like you'll be sure to like, you know, remember and make like memories that will last, which is 100% the feeling I have uh, looking back at my experience at McGill, like it, it was definitely the undergraduate experience I was like hoping for in every possible aspect, even better. So yeah, I would definitely say like, you know, look into, of course, the programs and 
the university in itself, like, would you see yourself on that campus just, you know, based on the photos and whatnot, but also look into the city you'll be living in because that will impact your experience in more ways than you can imagine. Yeah, no, it's true. You're, you're spending three to four years, if not more, depending on the program in a certain spot in a, in a moment in your life, that's really important and a lot of fun as well. So um, it's definitely, yeah, it's good to have sort of those reasons as to why you, you know, you're picking certain places. So no, definitely good advice uh, there. Uh, maybe just, you know, this might, maybe wasn't even on your radar where I knew you were thinking something, but, you know, you're coming in from a French background. Was there any thought about, okay, now I'm going to, you know, a pretty well-known English university. Was there any nervousness there about sort of that switch in language? Now, I know French-backed programs can be very international. So maybe this was, you know, this was your case, so you did not worry at all. But how, do, you, do you remember feeling any kind of anxiety about that? Um. A little bit, actually. I, I did attend an international high school, and a solid chunk of my graduating class moved abroad um, for uh, for college. Um, so, in a way, in a way, I felt like this was, you know, part of the process for me as well, which was kind of the exciting part. Uh, on the other hand, it was definitely there's definitely the effect that I never uh, had a full course load completely conducted in English. There was always like, you know, a few specific classes. Um, here and there. So it was definitely going to be a leap. Um, but I, I also did remember from my time in Montreal that like there are neighborhoods where like you can you get to speak French and you know if ever this is something that gets overwhelming and you can just you know and there is like a strong uh, Francophone community in Montreal even aside from like Quebec like I, I did meet a lot of other uh, French students but also you know from Belgium, Switzerland uh, or even like from Africa for, for instance. Um, I guess ultimately, though, it was sort of, you know, one of these things where I'm trying to like push myself out of my comfort zone and think, well, if I do get to go to this prestigious Anglophone university, I might as well, you know, completely do the full immersion, you know, <laughs> go big or go home, I guess. And in this sense, it was a very rewarding experience as well, because you sure get this Francophone aspect, which I think is really interesting because you don't get that many big universities uh, out in this world who, you know, strive to create this bilingual or at least like, you know, close to bilingual environment. So I definitely feel like it's part of what makes uh, McGill stand out on the international scene. But I also like the fact that if you're looking to completely immerse yourself in this English speaking universe, it is very easy for you to do so. And yeah, in my past four years, I guess I've had the opportunity to um, even forget words in French, if I'm being honest, uh, just, you know, being completely in this environment, but um, very fulfilling and very rewarding on every aspect, you know. It's that, um, what is it, the flaw of being uh, bilingual or trilingual or whatever it may be, you just make m mistakes in more languages now, um, or you know, <laughs> forgetting words, but it, no, but of course, it's, it's a great place to be if you do want to test both languages or learn one of them, um, yeah. for sure. So you're admitted at McGill, Faculty of Arts, you're coming in. So one period, and we sort of understand this from you know newly admitted students, is the course registration part and how sort of daunting that could be. We definitely have a very independent aspect around McGill in terms of here are the tools, here are the resources, but like you know you kind of have to use them uh, appropriately and to figure it out to a certain extent. Of course, we have advisors. So you come in with a French back degree, so it means you come in as a U1 student through our system. Did you have any difficulty in trying to figure out, okay, what courses should I be taking? Um, do I have to look at that freshman program? Do you remember how that was? I know this is our few years ago now, but do you remember how that first period of course registration worked? Um, I actually do, <laughs> just based on this very um, 
interesting experience where I myself wasn't fully aware that I could that I was gonna get fully into U1 with a French back. And I just remember this messenger group chat with a bunch of other students from France and me awkwardly asking if we're gonna be U0, U1, and everyone seemed to know that we're gonna be U1 except for me. Um, so that was a fun experience in hindsight, definitely. Um, then I guess, yeah, this other aspect that was completely freeing to me was uh, registering for your own classes, uh, which is rarely something that you're ever gonna do if you go to like a higher education institution in France. So I guess this aspect was also very interesting. Like, oh, I can actually, it's, you know, it's both a, it's both a blessing and a curse, I guess, because <laughs> you, you do get to choose the classes that you're interested in and you, you do get a lot of freedom, but sometimes like it's hard because you want to take two classes scheduled at the same time, or sometimes you'll have days where you have four classes and then the next day you'll only have one. Um, so it all, all, it definitely comes into, you know, you sort of have to like practice, like, you know, practice makes perfect. And it is the case for course registration as well, you know, with years you, so sort of like improve at this game, I guess. And just, you know, you learn to make better schedules um, in this regard. Um, I do remember it being slightly intimidating at first reaching out to advisors, because again, it's not something that I used to do. So I was slightly scared at the beginning. What are they gonna say? Are they gonna be, you know, harsh or whatnot? And it turns out like everyone was always really nice in their email correspondence with me um, and really helpful as well. Um, I remember coming in with like the silliest question in hindsight and just being like, I could have looked this up on the website anytime, but they were still really nice. Like the advisors were still really nice and took the time to answer my questions regardless. And um, I definitely feel like, as you said, you sort of have to push yourself to, you know, make, initiate this contact and uh, make the first step. But I, I, in my experience, at least dealing with, um, I think it was arts advising first and then departmental, if I remember um, correctly, but it was, everyone was always really nice and very helpful. And I guess, you know, at the end of the day, everyone's here to like help you make the most of your experience. And yeah, I definitely feel like it starts with day one, um, course registration as well. No, it's great to hear that the advisors helped out and they allowed you to feel a bit more relaxed and comfortable with that situation. And yeah, we, we definitely have a lot of the spring and summer uh, sessions to really help students figure that out. Um, so you were coming in, did you stay at a residence for that first year? Did you take up? So all first year students have access to uh, one of our residences. Did you take us up on that offer? Did you, where did you stay if you did? Um, so it's a sort of yes or no question um, in the sense that I did stay in a residence, just not a McGill residence. Um, and even there, it's a gray area. Um, back in my days, uh, it was uh, this Evo building downtown that is now Campus One Montreal. Um, so it, it honestly felt like being in the McGill residence because, you know, Lasset is right there and C4 is right across the street and you even do get McGill students who are assigned by McGill to stay in Evo. So in every possible aspect, um, it did feel like residence, even though technically you're considered, uh, to be, to be off campus. Um, it sort of came, um, Initially, I, I, when, I, when I was looking at residences in Montreal, like, you know, uh, non-McGill residences, because um, the price at the time was sort of um, a bit expensive for me. And so I was trying to look at, and see if I could find other options that were slightly more affordable. Um, so, and I did find Evo initially, but it 
it was one of these things where I'm like, this is too good to be true. There, there can be a residence with like a swimming pool and a gym and a game room. Like, what do you mean? Uh, so I did look into other stuff uh, in the meantime and other residences in Montreal. Um, and yeah, eventually by late August, just I think a week before uh, move-in day, I decided to commit to Evo. So again, last minute, I do a lot of things last minute, as you can see, but it ends up working out at the end of the day. And um, in many aspects, uh, my, my time at EVA was uh, simply amazing. I, I do look back at this, that year spent uh, living in that residence and it was definitely, it, it definitely helped me my freshman year, like such an amazing experience. And then following that, because I'm not too well informed, like I know it's there. And as, as you said, it's right across the street from some of our McGill residences. After that, are you sort of kind of pushed toward finding your own apartment somewhere in the area or were you able to stay there more than one year? Um, so you get the opportunity to stay more than one year. Uh, initially, I, I was supposed to even stay over the summer because they do give you a lease that's one full year so from September 1st until August 30th. Uh, unfortunately, they closed down that year. Um, so they sort of kicked this all out <laughs> on May 1st. Um, I spent I spend my summer at their other residence that they have in the old Montreal, um, but with a few of my friends uh, from EVO, we decided to just move into our own apartment because even though you do get the option to stay there for longer if you wish to, I guess the fact that there, you know, we're McGill students who had to leave um, and find apartments, you know, like the dynamics sort of, if you see other people do it, then you're sort of gonna like move forward, like go with the flow. Um, so we did move into an apartment um, starting September 1st of the year after, um, but we could have technically stayed if we wanted to. And just coming from, you know, coming from abroad, uh, do you remember if you felt any kind of homesickness that you had to sort of overcome in that first, maybe semester, first year, or even now, like it sometimes it can still come up. Um, how has that experience been for you? Um, it did feel, it, it did feel like that the first month or so, I would say, but to be fair, I also had roommate drama that, you know, didn't necessarily help, I guess, within the first month. And, you know, after that, like I, I changed rooms and everything went much better from there on. Um, and I just realized, I guess, like how incredibly easy it was to make friends and I guess once you start you know making these friends and having this experience um it definitely helps with the with the homesickness it also came at a time in my life where I was sort of looking forward to expanding my horizons anyway and I guess you probably figured that out from my previous centers but I didn't even consider staying in France for for college so like in my head I was always going to go abroad and I, I guess like once I actually started you know going out there and, and making friends especially in residence it definitely made life a hundred times easier and it helps you know it helps integrate with the integration but also just in general I guess like then you have like new new things to look forward to um, and over the years um, I think the homesickness uh, it, it's it probably sounds bold to say this, but I definitely feel like the homesickness completely went away. Um, I've come to spend more and more of my time in the summer, like uh, in Montreal. Uh, it was just two months in first year and then moved to three after second year. And last summer, 2020, I stayed here the entire summer. I guess the pandemic helped as well in this regards. But um, yeah, I just came to appreciate like, you know, how like great Montreal is at any time of the year. And it's, you know, such like a different city in the winter and the summer, like you, you can't really understand, you don't even realize that it's the same city. You're just like, wow, this, these are two completely different vibes, but 
um, yeah, I definitely feel like now, and that's very telling. And my, my mom was actually telling me this recently, like when I say I'm coming home, I'm actually talking about Montreal and not even France anymore. I, I can, I can feel maybe the tear from, you know, from the parent for hearing that, but I, but I think it's great uh, to, you know, to find that connection for sure. And, and I think you, you hit on something that we always try to push, you know, for prospective students who maybe come from warmer climates or, you know, maybe the winter won't be, you know, it might, it might be really daunting for them, but uh, to stick around for the summer, maybe take one course at McGill so you have something else that's there for you, but it's not a full course load and enjoy the summer experience in Montreal, especially after you've gotten through November, December, January, February, should I continue on with how uh, winter can last here? Um, but no, I think there's obviously a lot to do in the winter, but to stick around in the summer, I think is a great opportunity uh, to at least do it once if you can. Um, but we understand it can be different for others. Um, so about the academic piece. So with the arts degree, we've kind of already said how flexible it can be and how, you know, you can move around and change programs. Um, so we'll get into some of the specifics of your programs, but I, I was kind of curious because I know you went from, you know, having one major, then two minors, and then you're like, then you went from honors to one minor. So just technically speaking, how was that process? So how is it from switching minors or adding minors, maybe going into honors, dropping a minor? How does that, how easy is that? Do you have to speak to anyone? How does that work? Um, it's incredibly easy. And if I'm being honest, sometimes too easy because then it becomes very tempting. Um, you know, you, you get that one bad grade on a midterm and you're like, well, this is it. Let me change my entire academic plan. Um, and I would lie if I, if I pretended that this didn't, you know, the thought didn't cross my mind several times. Um, but I guess it, it definitely helps in the sense that it gives you a lot of flexibility, which, you know, just like any scenario where you have a lot of flexibility, you sort of have to be responsible still um, on, you know, on, on, on the other hand, and, you know, it, it all boils down to basically how you plan um, your own, like, skills to be organized, basically. Um, and, you know, that was part of my, um, part of my own like experience as well, I guess, and sort of like, you know, talking to my friends and, cause I, I do have friends who change programs as well, especially after first year, I guess like a lot of students, you know, starting their first year and um, not even don't necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily that you don't like the program that you started with, but sometimes you just have like a better idea after first year, because, you know, ultimately I feel like a lot of people are scared to not like their programs, but I, I, I truly wish that I could tell freshmen Robin, that this is actually a great thing to not like your program because then it brings you one step closer to what you don't like. And sometimes finding what you like is hard, but finding what you don't like is a lot easier. And so, you know, every um, course that you take and don't like, every program that you don't necessarily like actually brings you one step closer to what you will down the line actually enjoy. Um, so I definitely feel like it's not necessarily a bad thing. It just, you know, it takes some responsibility, you have to be organized and sort of like be responsible in just the way you don't want to change your program every every two seconds whenever something minor arises. But I like the fact that I had this option as well. And they, on the Minerva page, when you change your program, they do re not like require you because you can do it without consulting anyone, but they do strongly advise you to, oh, maybe you should check with a departmental advisor first and make sure, especially I guess if you're gonna transfer from like two programs that are completely um, different. You know, um, in my case, political science and international development studies, they're fairly similar. They have a lot of overlap. They, there are like IDS 
classes that were like specifically for IDS students, but um, considering that you can take a lot of poly credits for that, like it, it did overlap in a way and it wasn't that big of a leap, I guess, uh, in this, in this regard. Um, but it, yeah, it's always good to consult with advisors. Quite frankly, you know, they, they're here for you. I mean, you know, that's what an advisor is quite literally. Um, and in my experience, they've always been really helpful. Um, sometimes they'll even try to like boost you in, you know, ways that you didn't even think were possible. Um, so that's why like, it's, it's always a good thing, even if you're considering, even if it's, you could just, you know, a few clicks and there you go, change your major. It's always good to consult with someone just, you know, for like, even, even if it's not, even if you're, you know that you could just do it for reassurance sometimes, like it's always nice. And for that honors part. So one thing we get, and I get asked this question is like, oh, I want to do the honors program right away. And like, that's fine. But you unfortunately don't get to apply to it in the actual application. You have to wait a bit. So what was that process like for you was, yeah. How was it switching into honors? Um, I guess unlike a lot of my, of my peers, especially in the field, I didn't plan on going to honors uh, when I first declared my major. Um, it sort of came afterwards because um, I realized that after consulting with my advisor that I had the grades for that and she suggested, oh, you know, if you are able to maintain this, you know, uh, academic spending, you could definitely opt for an honors program. And I think for IDS, it's slightly different now because they are changing the program. And so starting in fall 2021, the new program will be fully implemented. Um, but for the old program, there really weren't that many differences between the major and honors. It was honestly just a few additional uh, classes that you had to take. And two of them were language classes, which I was planning to take anyway, because I'm, I like learning new languages. So I was like, well, if I'm, if I'm going to take another uh, like a language class anyway, I might as well just, you know, try and see how I can uh, fit that honors program into, into my schedule. And that was, that was part of my, uh, it's way too easy to change your program um, thingy because I, I did have a few um, scares, uh, especially in fall 2019, I think, in terms of my required courses for the program, which I ended up doing well uh, at the end of the semester, but during the semester, it was sort of a roller coaster and I didn't really know where I was headed. So I was like, maybe I shouldn't declare the honors program now. I, I did have the green light to do it, but I was like, maybe I should just stick to major now. and. If I do well at the end of the semester, then I can comfortably switch to honors. And that's that's basically what happened. Okay. Um, let, let's give IDS a moment here. So this is a pretty popular program um, to a certain extent. Can you go into a, a bit detail? Like what are those classes like? What, what are you learning? Um, and I know we'll, we'll get into your future career plans, but maybe in general, what that program sort of directs, you know, maybe yourself or colleagues toward uh, in the future. Um, so I think what I liked initially about that program that is different from policy is the fact that it's very interdisciplinary. Um, technically, the department, the institute, the ICID is interdisciplinary. There's only a few professors who are specifically INTD professors. Most of the professors come from economics, history, political science, geography, and, and many other departments. And I think that's what sort of, you know, attracted me in the first place because I, I thought it could be interesting to sort of like diversify um, my, you know, my, my curriculum in a way. Um, and what I think is good with IDS from my own perspective is that you get to have this, you know, 
guide, direct, you know, directive, you know, guiding line, which in my, in my case was political science, but you get to have these like few extra classes from like a bunch of different departments that still count towards your degree, but it helps you somewhat, somewhat, you know, diversify um, your own options. I last semester in fall 2020, I took this social work class um, on refugees that I wouldn't have the opportunity to take if it wasn't for IDS. And it was simply one of the best classes I ever took in my entire undergraduate uh, experience. Um, and on so many levels would recommend to anyone considering. So, you know, I'm really thankful for this specific aspect. And basically I think it really very much depends on what you make of it because it's so interdisciplinary at the end of the day, it's what you choose to make uh, of these classes. I think the core curriculum basically tries to teach you um, the main uh, theories and practices related to development. So what is development? Because it's a very loaded notion as well. Um, and how to sort of transcend uh, this notion of development and try to bring, you know, innovation that is either like through political, economics, social, anthropological, you name it, different lenses basically um, to the table uh, and sort of like transcend, you know, this very uh, white saviorist um, sort of like, you know, toxic approach to development that has unfortunately been at the forefront for um, a long time. And I think for what was rewarding in these courses, specifically my INTD courses, um, or how, how much emphasis was given to, you know, grassroots solutions and, you know, how to like help people help themselves basically, which I think is a very rewarding um, aspect. I know a lot of my, and my colleagues ended up um, interning for, you know, NGOs, not just in Canada, but also in Latin America. I, I have a friend now who works for the Food and Agriculture Organization from the United Nations. Uh, she was in South Sudan recently, just you know, working on the field and helping populations, which I think is very inspiring to see, you know, all these options. Um, you know, I, I have friends working for the Association of Southeast Asian Nations uh, in Singapore, and all these very inspiring because you know you can do it's such an interdisciplinary field that you can you can end up in consultancy, you can end up in diplomacy, you can end up working for an NGO. You know, there, there's so many options out there, which can be overwhelming, but I feel like in my case, it's so inspiring because I do have friends who are sort of like, you know, in every possible field. And it's, you know, it's always so interesting to see your friends like end up um, in, you know, such like different uh, journeys at the end of the day, I guess. I think that's a great explanation of the program. And yeah, if it does interest people, there's definitely information online, um, but it's cool to hear that from a student uh, directly uh, about the program. So I know, so with the honors part of your degree, you have the minor as well. So a lot of your credits are being eaten up already. Um, but one thing I find interesting with Faculty of Arts is how much elective space you could really have, again, depending on how you're selecting your programs. Um, maybe this doesn't come up anymore, but I feel like uh, I'm curious. Is there an elective course where, you know, if a friend comes along or a new student comes along and says, okay, I got to fill up elective credits, where should I go? What fancy course should I take? Was there any, did you have an elective course that really stood out? So it's completely outside of your realm, but very interesting. Um, I actually do. So initially I was thinking of declaring an East Asian Studies minor, which I didn't end up doing. Um, but I, I do specialize in the politics of democracy in East and Southeast Asia. So when I still had room for elective this year, particularly, I decided, well, if I couldn't declare that minor, I might as well just, you know, fill in my remaining electives with East Asian studies courses. And so last semester, I took um, East 362, which is Japanese cinema. 
um, which was amazing because we were basically studying films and that's really not something that you get to do uh, in my field usually. But, you know, it was really interesting because ultimately it did tie into everything I learned in either my poly or history classes. Um, my, you know, prior knowledge of um, Japanese history and modern Japanese politics did come into play. And so it wasn't even that far off. Like it was, you know, the field of cinema in itself was completely different from what I usually do. But I think what was really interesting is that at the end of the day, I was still able to, you know, make something of it um, based on my own interest and how my previous classes tied, in, tied together. Um, and I was actually talking to one of my friends in the class who is an East Asian studies major and doesn't necessarily approach, you know, East Asian studies courses from a political perspective, but more so from like a literature or like cultural studies, you know, perspective. And I was telling her that I was like, wow, it's incredible that I actually managed to tie this course material to my political background. And she's like, yeah, I, I didn't really think it was possible. But, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, it's very much what you decide to make of it. And just in general, I was introduced to a lot of very good films. So, you know, if anyone is really looking into uh, diversifying your understanding or grasp of Japanese cinema, would 100% recommend this class. Otherwise, well, it was really nice. Well, speaking about recommendations, I'm never against a movie recommendation. If you had to say one, one movie that, you know, just for fun that you should access, try to watch, what should it be? Um, I think what was really interesting in that class particularly, and I, I did watch it before taking that class, but we watched it again, um, uh, was Perfect Blue. Uh, so an anime uh, film from 1997, which was really interesting because there's such a deep-seated um, critique of the social values in Japan at this time, but it's also this guy's like this thriller, so it's very, you know, enticing in a way. And uh, honestly, when I saw it in the syllabus, I was like, wow, I, I love this film as a teenager, and now I get to study it in the class and look at, you know, the societal aspects of it. So definitely, yeah, the highlight of that class, I guess. And it was the last class as well, so, you know, ending on a positive note. That's awesome. Okay, no, I appreciate that. Um, recommendations of all, I, I really enjoy that, I'm sure. Okay listeners too, you know, always looking for something to do. Um, about the classroom experience. So the Faculty of Arts, a lot of students sometimes, and especially if you're getting used to McGill or you're, you're thinking about McGill, we sort of do this thing where we bring them to the largest classroom and show them what, you know, 612 students could look like in this room. Um, so what was that experience like and how did it progress throughout? So how, how do the professors tackle the large number of students and did you feel like eventually it got smaller? Um, so I have to say, and, and this was already like uh, true to my uh, res experience, but I, I, I arrived in Montreal as a freshman being very shy and very introverted. And so that's why initially my first year, I mostly opened up to people in my residence and it was sort of hard to like open up to people in classes. But I guess if I, if I could give one piece of advice that is related to my classroom experiences, um, when, you, when you see people they have several classes with and you see them several times a week, feel free to talk to them. It, it, it might sound weird, but I ended up doing it so many times or, or other people would just come in and talk to me and be like, oh, I saw you in that class as well. I didn't know you were in this uh, course too. And sometimes I, I actually made friends that you know I, I still talk to to this day, especially I guess when you're a freshman, it's, it's a really nice way to sort of like get introduced to you know, like, you know, other students in your field or related fields, I guess, because as you said, like 612 people is a pretty large number of students, especially if you're out of high school or like you're 
most of your classes barely had over 30 students. And, and then you walk into a Leacock 132, which is the largest classroom, uh, one of the largest classrooms at McGill, and you just see this gigantic uh, lecture hall and you're, wow, okay, this is McGill. <laughs> or at least this is McGill in your first year. But um, throughout, yeah, over time, your classes definitely get smaller. And I guess it also depends on which specific classes you take. Some of them typically have more uh, rooms for students than others, but uh, I think last semester my I had my largest class at 80 students, um, and my other three classes had maximum 35 students. So it does it does get smaller um, at the end. But even for large classes, you get these conferences, right? So you have this one hour of the week where you're only with 20 other students from your lecture, and you get to have this sort of like more in depth um, discussion. And usually these are graded for participation. Um, and quite frankly, it was again someone who came out introverted it was always hard you know initially to sort of like break through in these conferences because i used to always overthink and be like i need to say something really smart right now um but at the end of the day i realized that i you know you start talking to people and you start making bonds and stuff even if it's just you know for the time of the class but it, you know at least like you it's i realized that like if you just sort of like put yourself out there not even too much you just you know make that first step every once in a while you definitely get to like break that um 600 people plus uh boundary like pretty easily so it, it it might be a challenge at first but coming from someone who didn't have that perspective in first year and definitely like it's thankful they learned to do this on my own it, it is very rewarding on the long in the long run and then one thing we try to remind people as well is you're not the only person looking for connections that like usually there should be someone else in the classroom who also, you know, wants to make friends and wants to connect to people. So um, usually yeah, just that first step, you know, snowballs into friendships and then more. Um, about working with professors, have you, or dealing with professors, have you, you know, found them accessible? Have you uh, been able to reach out to them if you've had to, uh, whether in larger classrooms or smaller classrooms? What has your experience been with McGill professors? So I guess the political science department, because the bulk of my classes were within this specific department, um, the first year classes are pretty tough to get in touch with professors just because there is a lot of students. Surprisingly though, I did, I, I did find that one of my professors for this one class that I took years ago in a 600, lecture, a 600 people lecture hall Still remembered me when I saw them on campus last year, which I was really surprised about. So sometimes, you know, going to office hour even once can help make a difference. Um, jokes aside, I doubt that every professor would remember me just from going to office hours once. I think this is mostly just that one exception, you know. Um, but once classes get a little bit smaller, even just your teaching assistants in your conference, I, I found oftentimes like it is fairly easier to reach out to them. You can always go to talk to them after the conference. You know, they're graduate students. Some of them were even in their first semester of graduate studies. So just like a few months back, they were, you know, sitting in a lecture role, just like, just like you were. And, and I feel like they're, they are usually very accessible in your first year, at least like they'll probably be a bit easier to get in touch with um, than professors. But even in my experience, emailing professors and asking for office hours, I've always been able to find um, to find that time, and professors have always been, you know, willing to make this time for me. So I wouldn't even say it's that hard. I just think the TA is a good start. 
um, to, you know, sort of make that connection. But, and then, you know, as your classes get smaller, it's incredibly, again, it's incredibly easier to get in touch with your professor so long as you're willing to, you know, initiate that contact. Usually they, they are very responsive. And sometimes like it's, there's actually like a great feeling to, you know, sort of bonding with a professor that's outside of class because that's when you realize that, you know, some of them are genuinely like very like, amazing people as well, you know. And, and yeah, of course, we always we always push the office hours things like I having been a TA myself in the past, sometimes you're just sitting there, no one ever reaches out. So it's, it's nice even to TAs and to professors that you reach out. Um, and yeah, and that's sort of how the relationships begin. Um, so hopefully, and I'm sure you've heard the news about what fall 2021 might look like uh, in terms of getting back to campus, but I think it's it's good to sort of discuss this past year in terms of what that was like for the student. Um, so how how have you dealt with things being, being remote? Uh, were there some negative things that you really had to overcome? Were there positive aspects that you were able to pull out? And it's fine if there weren't. We understand that this was not an easy situation for many, um, but what have you sort of learned for the, from the past year? Um, definitely not to overcommit <laughs> in terms of extracurricular activities. Um, this has sort of been um, that one a recurring trope for me this year, uh, particularly because I wasn't able to secure an internship last summer, as were many of my friends, because, you know, the pandemic sort of came abruptly and a lot of my friends weren't necessarily able to secure internships. So I told myself, well, in the fall, I can just um, compensate with, um, you know, um, extracurricular activities, which felt like a great idea on the spot. And it definitely, it definitely was. I don't regret anything. It's just that I did overcommit um in the sense that I was trying to you know juggle four clubs <laughs> this semester not just this semester this entire academic year actually which has been rewarding on many aspects and I, I would definitely recommend people to look into into extracurricular activities because my lasting friendships that I made at McGill were mostly um through these clubs and associations um, I definitely feel like I do, since I didn't realize that, you know, online schooling was going to be very intense, I, I definitely feel like this overcommitment sort of like put a lot on my plate um, for this year. I've been able to deal with everything, but again, a lot of time management skills and, you know, being organized and scheduling weeks ahead, <laughs> um, even when you want to have social interactions with your friend, unfortunately. Um, but it, it did work out pretty well in that regard. Um, I think, yeah, the pace the pace did change a little bit in terms of online classes if I have to compare with last year when the last few weeks of winter 2020 were switched online versus this year. Um, although professors are very open uh, to, you know, make concessions and accommodations for students this year, at least in my, my professors in the classes I took this year, I was very lucky in the sense that my professors were always willing to um, make accommodations. And I think a lot of them had this realization, particularly after fall 2020, that, you know, just because this semester is online doesn't make it inherently easier. Um, so a lot of professors have been willing to sort of um, change that and uh, help make our experience like more accessible, I guess, uh, in that regards. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm very thankful for that as well, because sometimes I forget that, you know, professors are also trying to navigate um, these hard times and which is why, you know, so you send emails saying, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm trying to like keep up with the semester and the professors say, well, don't worry, me too. 
So, you know, sometimes it's actually nice to realize that we're all in the same boat at the end of the day. I thank you for for that, for for sharing that experience. Because yeah, and it's true. We were all sort of thrown into this. Everyone's doing something new. Yes, we've had now a year to deal with it or to to think and, and grow from it, but still a lot of things that were completely different where you had 20-year careers that were, you know, taught in a completely different way. So um, coming in with, you know, the right spirit, um, but also understanding how, you know, difficult it can be is a good understanding. Uh, so you mentioned clubs. So one thing, again, we, we really like to push for our students is the balance in your life. So yes, McGill will talk about academics and how important it is uh, to be admitted and to, to have success throughout the throughout your years here. Um, but that's not the only thing that matters to you as a person. So there is about finding uh, extracurriculars or joining something through McGill or the city. So what have you done to sort of keep yourself energized outside of the classroom? So jumping into extracurricular activities was, again, circling back, but as an intro in first year, I didn't really try out that many things. I remember being very ambitious at Discover McGill, you know, walking around, looking at the different clubs and ultimately not joining a single one, at least in first year. Um, and then by the time second year come, came around, I, I thought, well, you know what, I, I might as well try, you know, a few stuff. So I initially... I uh, looked into McGill Students for UNICEF because I had a few of my friends who were executives uh, by the time second year came around and, you know, you're talking to friends and you're shamelessly trying to self-promote um, your club. And I was like, yeah, it's fine. I'll just uh, look it up. And I've been an executive actually for McGill Students for UNICEF for the past two years. So proved that sometimes it actually, you know, you just walk into the club thinking it'll just be a one semester thing. And then two years later, you're still there. <laughs> Um, so that was a very, I guess like that was part of my, uh, part of my experience, um, which definitely helped in, in many ways, um, in terms of the friends, uh, that I made some of my very good friends to this day have been, uh, other like fellow members that I've known since I joined the club. Um, another thing that I would, uh, that really completely shaped my entire undergraduate uh, experience at McGill was uh, the involvement with the IDSSA, uh, so the Student Association for Students in IDS, um, which I started in second year when I joined the journal Chrysalis as an editor, and I remained as an editor in third year, and uh, now I'm the editor-in-chief as the VP Publications, um, so this sort of like, you know, upward mobility, um, and I, most of my friends now are friends that I met um, through this process. Uh, or my colleagues at the IDSSA. Um, I definitely feel like student associations are a great way to get uh, to get engaged because it, I don't think I, I don't think I realized it on the spot when I first joined. But now in hindsight, like I'm, I'm definitely very thankful that I did because you don't actually think that being getting involved in a student association will tie into what career you want to pursue afterwards. But you'd be surprised. Actually, you'd be surprised. Um, in terms of you know everything vp communications because you know if you want to work into marketing and stuff like that it's always a good way to have that portfolio to add um or just you know vp internal for human resources because i do have friends who pursued graduate programs in human resources and had that experience or just you know having that on your resume shows that you were willing to you know engage in like leadership uh as a student so it's a pretty great opportunity to to have in the first place and in, in my case as well, it, it did bring a pretty extensive portfolio in terms of 
academic journals, which is what Chrysalis is, but as the future publications, I also manage an online platform, so more journalism oriented, uh, which has given me incredible experience uh, in the field. And it complements um, my involvement with the McGill International Review, because uh, I, I, I do write, um, have been writing for them for over a year and a half now. Um, and, you know, I get to write on plethora of topics pertaining to international politics. Like I said, I mostly specialize in the Asia Pacific. So I think all my articles have dealt with the region, but, you know, it's very rewarding because you don't naturally get that experience either in the classroom or just at McGill in general. So having that club to, you know, dive into this experience has been amazing. And again, um, the MIR has been one of my favorite extracurricular activities um, at McGill. So another one that I would strongly recommend looking into for anyone who is interested in this whole, you know, international relations and politics. So you mentioned journalism a lot, um, being involved in a lot of different ways. Um, is this, and because graduation's coming up, I'm gonna ask that annoying question that maybe older relatives ask uh, about what are your plans after graduating? So what, what have you been considering? Have you already made a decision? What, uh, what's, what's the future? What's the goal? Um, so initially I, so in my head, I was definitely going to do a graduate program. Um, I know a few people or most people I know usually want to, you know, work for a year or two and then get into, um, get into grad school. Um, I have to say, given the pandemic, it is pretty hard to plan because you, you want to have that job, but they are also going to ask for the graduate program, but then you need that work experience to get into the program. So this vicious cycle, but I did apply to several programs, um, mostly in, in, in global affairs or international relations, but also in journalism. And yeah, I recently committed to a graduate journalism program at Concordia University, so the other Anglophone University in, uh, in Montreal, um, that will start in June. Um, so this will be for the year to come because it's a one-year intensive program. So this will be my, um, where I'll be for the next year. And then hopefully I do get, you know, a nice placement down the line <laughs> to uh, work for hopefully a publication afterwards. Congratulations. Um, I think that's awesome to hear. And yeah, I definitely don't, uh, I can definitely empathize with the idea that, you know, where to go at this time, because it, it is quite difficult and uh, doors are opening and closing super fast and things are changing, but it's nice that you that you did find something uh, to continue with. So speaking about journalism, so now you're, you're going off and you're continuing with that. Um, you know, one thing that we really try to push that I specifically try to, to help students with, especially when they're looking for their undergraduate program is finding the right fit. It's nice to see, wow, this is a great school. It's look how, look how high it ranks. It's amazing. But if it doesn't have the program that you want, what does that matter? So, you know, you came in, maybe you didn't hundred percent know where you would end up being after an undergrad experience uh, and where you would maybe be for grad school. Um, but you come in, we don't have a journalism program as a major, for example, at McGill. It's one of the few we don't have. We have a lot of programs, but we don't have everything. Um, do you feel like you got that experience to still be, you know, you've been admitted, so maybe this is silly, but do you feel like, you know, you're prepared enough, even though you didn't have academic classes in that field? So it's definitely one of these situations where extracurricular activities are going to make the difference by far and by large. Um, I didn't necessarily have planned to end up in journalism initially. Uh, it was, you know, a consideration when I was in high school, but just because you think some, something in high school doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be your path afterwards. And I did consider other, 
uh, past it during my time at McGill, but I realized ultimately that all my extracurricular activities were pointing to that one thing that I was actually really passionate about. So I just thought to myself, well, you know, it's a pretty good sign that I should probably continue in that field. Um, and so McGill doesn't have a journalism program. It is true. That said, we have amazing opportunities to compensate in terms of extracurricular. Um, we have some amazing, um, like, media platforms to get involved with. Um, I, I know just, you know, if you're interested in, like, student journalism and, like, a broader definition, we do have the McGill Tribune that is pretty uh, reputable, even outside of, uh, even outside of McGill, um, I, I think we get a crazy amount of reads, even just in Montreal. Um, there's the Bull and Bear as well, you know, if you want to get involved, it's, I think it's, this one is affiliated to the Faculty of Management, but you don't need to be uh, a management student. And I know a few people who either wrote or edited for that. Uh, in my case, MIR came into play and, you know, despite not having this journalism program with the brand that MIR sort of like try to like build over the past few years, some of our alumni have worked uh, for the BBC or CNN, which proves that, you know, even if you do not necessarily have a journalism background, you can still end up at, you know, these like very prestigious uh, news organizations later in life. Um, I think we only graduated a few years ago, so even not even that long, you know, um, to get where they are now. So that's, you know, definitely one of these instances where getting involved outside the classroom is going to make the difference uh, in, your, in your resume because your degree, of course, is gonna be an important part and should be the most important part, or at least, you know, for the time being, but, you know, the networking that you get to do in clubs and activities on the side, this networking will sometimes open doors that the degree in just by itself would not necessarily, you know, allow you to obtain. And I guess this is definitely one of these instances um, and we do have so many opportunities that like you can definitely make something, you know, out of it. Even myself, you know, as being the editor-in-chief of our online platform catalyst, I, we gave this opportunity to like a few students this year who told me, well, I might actually continue to start journalism because I really, really like this year. And I'm, I mean, it makes me so happy to know that, you know, I'm able to not only have this passion for myself, but also show other students that it's something that they can achieve as well in, in their time at McGill. So we definitely have a lot of, of opportunities for students to like compensate for that lack of like academic program. And I think even a lot of things you just said carry over to, I think the general idea of having a Bachelor of Arts and just graduating from that faculty and, you know, taking advantage of things outside of the classroom, connecting with people um, and using those soft skills that, that you learn in the classroom um, that you acquire through the classroom and taking that wherever, you know, you want to go with it. So uh, definitely great advice. I appreciate that. Um, you, you brought up, we'll go back to, you know, at the beginning, you mentioned the idea of financing being an, as, being an aspect of why you looked at McGill and Canada um, coming from France. Have you, you know, during your time as a student, have you been able to find part-time jobs? Have you balanced that kind of, um, you know, that, that personal life of having to work, but also being a student? And how was that for you? Um, so I did last semester. I... Uh, landed an internship, part-time internship uh, with the Green Party of Quebec, uh, which did, did take a lot of time and commitment, which is just an, another <laughs> activity adding onto my already pretty ex ex exhaustive list, uh, but a very rewarding experience with that. Um, and I guess what really helped as well is I was only working with other students 
Um, so, it, you know, it might sound silly because you're like, how does that affect my own performance? But I assure you that when your environment is full of, you know, people who have the same stress and same anxieties and just, you know, same prerogatives as you do, it definitely helps because you, you it, feel, it helps feeling included and, you know, integrated as well. And the transition into this workforce, even if it's just for a part-time internship during your classes, you know, it's still something. And sometimes it, it, it is already getting out of your comfort zone in and of itself, because you know how to do classes, you know how to do academics, but you don't necessarily know how to like work, you know, professionally. Um, and I guess, yeah, in my case, it really helped to know that I had um, other students that I could rely on. And, you know, whenever I had, I had issues and I could reach out to them, you know, they would know what I'm going through basically because they are students as well. Um, so I guess, you know, ultimately it's, it all boils down to like how like efficient and organized you are and also not putting too much pressure on yourself which I wish I could follow my own advice when it comes to like myself like you know scheduling ahead of time but it's something I, I quite honestly cannot stress enough like don't put too much pressure on yourself especially if you're going to start now because we are still in a pandemic and it's nice to you know get all these things accomplished and stuff but it should also not come at the expense of like your own well-being and I guess at the end of the day even doing just the bare minimum is still doing something and you know there's still something you should be proud of. Great sentiment great uh, definitely something great to share. Uh, in terms of sorry because I wanted to ask how, how did you get that internship was that through McGill was it outside of McGill or you're just on job boards how did that work? Um, I was actually on Indeed. Initially, was going to look for paid positions because unfortunately it was unpaid. But I have to say for the experience and, you know, just on the resume, getting to say that I did work with the Green Party of Quebec is still something I'm very thankful for in every possible aspect. Like it was an amazing opportunity. Um, I was scrolling on Indeed, actually, and I see this internship that says journalism, environment and politics. <laughs> Given my background that I just outlined, it was kind of like, well, if I don't, you know, who am I if I don't apply for this one? Um, and yeah, I um, just, you know, filled in the Indeed application. It wasn't even something that I had to like contact the Green Party itself. It was everything on the platform, which felt even more surreal. Um, and then I think a week and a half later, I get this email saying I'm, uh, I'll be in a panel interview with a bun bunch of other applicants. And just me like, oh, wow, damn, I, I was able to at least get an interview, you know, just that in itself was already um, pretty impressive. And I think at the end of that interview, what really struck with me was just um, Alex Tyrell, the leader of the Green Party of Quebec telling us like, yeah, I think all five of you will be a great deal. I'll just take all five of you. And just, yeah, <laughs> this is incredibly, just incredible in itself and just insane in so many aspects. You know, I was just looking for like a part-time job to have on the side if not for the if not for the experience at least for the salary and then you know just make some money on the side while I'm in my senior year and then I end up getting this very amazing opportunity yeah definitely did not plan for that but you know it's you know and there are jobs everywhere um so whether that's yep. um you know through websites you know I think there's you know, this is a key thing about maybe saying about Montreal and like, you know, that has opportunities for sure being, uh, you know, a populated city. Uh, and of course, I will just say we do have McGill job boards as well for specific uh, for our McGill students. So 
uh, definitely a lot of opportunities, but there's nothing stopping you from looking elsewhere, looking outward uh, and finding those opportunities. So no, it sounds really cool. That panel sounds terrifying, but uh, it, it worked out. So that's, that's okay. Um, so we're almost done. I have a few last questions. Um, and I, I asked this to everyone. Um, first thing that comes to your mind uh, for, for these questions, uh, what's your favorite thing about McGill? Um, the community that I built over the past four years, there's, um, yeah, I don't think I, I, I have the words to like describe how like this transcended every, every single expectations that I might have had. And, you know, it might, it might sound cheesy, you know, when you're looking at university, like homepage, when you're applying and you see this like diverse group of, you know, friends just like posing for this photo um, and just being like, wow, it would be like awesome. And without even noticing that actually happened to me over time, you know, in terms of the connections I made, in terms of the friends I made. And I guess that's, and in a way that's both the best and the worst part, because after these four years, most of them you'll have to say goodbye because they'll be, you know, moving to completely different countries and different horizons and stuff. But it's also very, you know, rewarding to tell myself, like, I could basically go on a world tour and, you know, have friends and like, and all the major cities or major countries across this this world and just you know keeping up with their own like personal and professional developments is also very you know it's also very nice to like see where they end up and and to think that you know you made it um you you all made it this far so the sense of community is uh, probably and by far my top uh achievement at mcgill you always have a couch to sleep on. I guess that's, uh, you know, there's always somewhere to stay. That's awesome. Uh, and then a little closer about Montreal. What's your favorite thing about Montreal? The versatility of this city. Like I said, it's two completely different cities in the summer and the winter. And after almost four years here um, and having spent time here before when, when I used to visit my sister, I still walk these these streets being just as amazed and as excited like you know feeling that thrill that you get when you walk into a new city um which you know my my grandparents told me well yeah this is how it feels when you found your home basically this you know sense of, of excitement and I couldn't agree with them more I, I definitely feel like it's it's so easy to uh find a home here in Montreal um you'll find everything that you need you'll find all the food uh, as someone who does think a lot in terms of food uh i was able to find any type of food that I like uh here in montreal and i guess that you know owes to like it's, it's rich diversity as well um people coming from all across the globe and it just you know comes into this like melting pot sort of uh here in montreal and you you're exposed to like so much so many you know different cultures uh different cuisines different perspectives as well i broaden my horizons in many ways that I didn't necessarily anticipate when I when I first applied. You know, it's these things where, you know, looking at it now, because not too long ago was actually like the anniversary of when I got accepted, because I, I still have I still have the date in mind, February 28th, uh, 2017. And I, I did think I I had no idea four years ago that this was going to be my life now. But for the best, definitely for the best. I had no idea, but uh, and I guess that's that's the best part. I do know that I was in for like the best ride of my life, basically. 
That's amazing to hear. And I want to thank you for sharing. Uh, so that's all I have. I want to thank you, Robin, for joining uh, me today. I uh, really appreciate your experience and sharing that experience with everyone. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me.